Hey, and welcome to the Living Out Podcast. I'm your host, Darren Steele, where personal growth meets social justice through a queer lens. Now, today I want to talk about trying to be right is not who you are. This is showing up a lot in my life. I think this is showing up in a lot of people's lives in varying degrees, and I'll try and give you just a couple of examples of what I mean. So social media, for example, people are always saying they're right, you're wrong, making their points, causing argument. It's a very easy kind of medium to use to express um, oh, one's self-imposed belief in themselves, their elevated reasoning or what they think is elevated reasoning or their position, which they think is right and better than everyone else's and trying to engage other people to get on, get on that horse and to, to go into battle and mob think and group think and everybody not even bothering to look at what's really happening or the truth of matters and just attacking without thinking. So I want to deal more with this aspect of feeling like you're right, but what I'm talking about here, and this could be another podcast, but something else to think about is when things happen in our life and, you know, maybe we get defensive and it isn't maybe being about right or wrong, but it's about things outside of us that aren't who we are. And I have to give credit for that expression to uh, to a friend of mine, Sean. We were having a conversation this morning about... <clears throat> You know, when you have challenges in your life, maybe it's something with a friend or your partner, or it's something to do with finances. Maybe you're, <clears throat> um, maybe you've lost your job, or you're as an entrepreneur dealing with uh, payments that haven't come in. And and if if you put all of your focus on that negative, what's not working, what's not right, we easily get consumed by that thing, and we can kind of become that problem, but you are not the problem. So hold on to that thought. Let me tell you where this came from. I have been, I'm listening to a few different podcasts and um, one that I found recently is called Ram Das Here and Now. And <clears throat> I saw this 30 minute documentary on Netflix about Ram Das. Um, I think in the 60s, he was a psychology professor at Harvard. I, I should have looked this up before I started this bloody podcast, shouldn't have I? But anyway, he was experimenting with LSD and <clears throat> uh, mushrooms and other hallucinogens. And I guess he got kicked out of Harvard for that. And then he went down the spiritual path, going to India, going to different ashrams and studying Buddhism and looking into Judaism and Catholicism. And, well, he had a stroke, I don't know how long ago, but that's what this Netflix documentary is about in that, you know, here is this man who still has some mobility but has lost a lot of um, his mechanical movements and he speaks so much more slowly. And But here is this man that, even though he suffered um, a horrible stroke, still lives. <clears throat> And this podcast is introduced usually by somebody else, but they are recordings, I guess, from the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and sometimes very recent ones. And I really like his approach because it's not 
Uh, it's not prescriptive. And he doesn't use language that's religious. And I guess at this point it's useful for me to say that I think I'm a spiritual person, but I'm absolutely not a religious person. I don't follow or believe in an ideology. Spirituality to me means an investigation and understanding of myself in relation to the world around me and that I have an impact on the world and I'm... I don't believe in a higher power and I don't believe in practicing any kind of ritual, which would be more of a religious kind of approach to things. But I do appreciate people who have navigated through various experiences, whether it be deeply spiritual, shamanistic, or religious, and have come out on the other side and are able to offer insight about the human experience, but without the doctrine, without the ideology. And that's what Ram Das does. So I would highly recommend um, checking out his podcast if you're looking for some very elevated mental, emotional, spiritual food for thought. So episode 86 is um, the reality of who we are. You know, let me read the description. It takes but a flick of a look in a person's eyes to see who it is you are to them. Which level of reality you exist upon. A conscious being has no attachment to any level, neither busy denying nor affirming, neither saying, I am this, nor I am not this, neither protecting or justifying. Once you get a peek at the reality of who you really are, you cannot go back to your former identity. Try and try as much as you will. When the pursuit of your true nature is the only game, everything in your life becomes an instrument for getting free. Now, it made me think about this idea of trying to be right is not who you are when you're defending your position. The quote that made me stop the podcast and write this down was this one, and I quote, You only try and protect your position when you don't have much faith in where you're at. Just like you only come on to other people about their position when you don't have much faith in where you're at. End quote. <clears throat> so, to summarize, we get so defensive about what we believe is right, essentially that we are trying to enforce what we believe to be right, and we get defensive or go into attack mode when we think other people's positions are wrong. And that's because we don't have much faith in where we're at. Now, what does that mean? You know, he, Ram Dass goes on to explain this a little bit, and I'll quote some more of him in a moment. But <clears throat> when we feel very insecure, that's a lack of faith in ourselves. And insecurity might be a lack of knowledge, a lack of experience, um, a lack of emotional intelligence. And as I say these things, please understand, I'm not judging you. I'm not judging me. I'm trying not to judge other people. But defensive posturing <clears throat> is an act of self-protection that we can even look at it from a neuroscience perspective. Another coach I follow puts it this way. If you don't feed the animals, if you don't take care of the animals, you won't get to meet the human. Now, he's speaking in neuroscience terms, and I think that's a good joke because 
we've basically uh, broken things down to sort of three major parts of our brains, the reptilian or the amygdala, uh, the mammalian brain, <clears throat> and the prefrontal cortex. And the amygdala and the mammalian brain are the oldest parts of the brain, and they work to keep us safe and to keep us comfortable above all else. They are based on either uh, instinctual reaction or uh, upbringing, uh, things that we have learned through experience that keep us safe, that keep our family safe, that keep those things that we care about um, close to us. And we often act what appear in, a, what, in what appears to be in an unconscious way. Um, and sometimes we'll think, why, why did I do that? You know, that's not exactly what I wanted to do. Suddenly you're in your logical brain thinking this through. So until you have that sort of feeling of emotional and intellectual, let's say, security, um, that faith in yourself, you won't be, or I should say, when you have those elements of yourself, then there isn't so much of a need to go on the defensive or to go on the attack. We go on the defensive or on the attack when we feel like either we are being attacked and we want to push back and we're reacting, we're going to fight or flight mode, or we just don't know. And we haven't learned, we haven't accepted within ourselves that it's okay to say from that place of who we are, I don't know. I really don't know. Discussion and, you know, a fluid two-way conversation without argument, without attack, uh, requires a lot of emotional stability and balance, um, positive self-image, and compassion. Compassion first for the self, because if you don't have compassion for yourself, you can't really have compassion or sympathy or empathy for others. So further on in the podcast, Ram Das talks about, you know, how can you have, you know, the, the true compassion to leave others alone and, and just let them be where they need to be. And it also speaks to the individual, right? How do you let other people just be? How do you let other situations just be? Remember I said at the beginning, we are not our experiences. We are not that financial debt. We are not that argument with our partner or our best friend. We are not that horrible situation that's happening in the government that we feel is violating our constitutional rights or our freedoms. So, quoting Ram Das, A compassionate being is what he or she is, creating a space in which other people can be what they need to be, not what you want them to be. I'm going to read it again. A compassionate being is what he or she is, creating a space in which other people can be what they need to be, not what you want them to be. That is a real test of compassion. Compassion is about space. I don't think I've heard it so eloquently stated because what do we normally want to do when we think maybe someone is saying something wrong or it's not quite right? 
Speaking for myself, I want to jump in and I want to correct. I want to give them a different alternative or I want to teach them something because I'm a natural teacher coach and I might be doing it with the best intentions. But one of my practices, and maybe, maybe very much, this is why I've moved more into coaching in my own life, because the more I ask questions as opposed to telling or prescribing, the more compassionate I am. Because what I'm seeking to do is to understand first. Now, I might provide my two cents worth if asked. I might offer uh, a different way of looking at something based on what the other person has said to me. And that's really what we want to endeavor to do in conversation, is to hear the other person's side as much as helping the other person hear our side. And we don't have to come to consensus, but we also don't have to come to blows. And I'm thinking about earlier this year, um, my publication on Medium, Think Queerly, and you can find that online by going to thinkqueerly.com. It was very... um, it was very combative. It was very um, in your face. There was a lot of there were a lot of articles and posts about things that were uh, problematic and rights being violated for LGBTQ people. And yes, we need to stand up for this sort of stuff. But I was certainly having some challenges with the approach. This angry posting, these uh, standing up and shouting if it's in person or in protest. And so Ram Dass says this, and I quote, you're no longer flamboyant in your protest. Your protest is somewhat more effective because you less define yourself as them. I'll read it again. You're no longer flamboyant in your protest. Your protest is somewhat more effective because you less define yourself as them. It's a strangely convoluted but interesting way of saying that. What it means to me, (laughs) and I don't profess to be the expert here at this because... When you listen to people like Ram Dass speak, you get a sense of um, a calm knowing. It's not even about being self-assured. It's not about ego. It's just a calm knowing, like an enlightened knowing, just an awareness that this is a truth. But sometimes the explanation of these truths, let's call them deeper spiritual truths, are very hard to put into words because maybe what people have shared previous to this kind of a statement has been more didactic, has been more prescriptive. Um, Here we're trying to find the way around saying that you can still say what needs to be said. You can still help someone see your side, your position without having to identify outside of yourself as 
them as that group that you are flamboyantly in protest with. And I just thought it was kind of funny, flamboyant being gay. And But he means, I believe, flamboyant in the sense of just taking so many different actions to be seen and to be heard and to be felt. And I also don't believe he's saying it's wrong to make a protest of any kind, but having more faith in where you're at changes the nature of how you want to proceed in making change and trying to create evolution and trying to have an impact in working to have influence that positively impacts the world. And maybe this next longer uh, and last quote will really help pull this all together. So Ramdas says, Constantly seeking the external hit because you're afraid fully to confront your possible bankruptcy, because your model of yourself has in it so much unworthiness that you're afraid that if you really stopped and looked and bead, (laughs) it would be too ugly, too frightening. It wouldn't be enough. What does that mean? Seeking the external hit are all of those things we do, I think in sort of a Buddhist terms, they would be talking about the distraction. So that, that social media hit, like, oh, I got so many likes on this post. Um, you know, thinking about the next thing while you're still in the thing. So you're enjoying a lovely dinner, but all you're doing is talking about what you're going to have for dessert or what you're going to do after. Um Enjoying a lovely time sitting on the couch with your partner watching a movie and you're only an hour in and it's fabulous, but then you're like, should we have sex after this or should we go for a walk? Positive or negative, it doesn't matter, but you're always looking for that elevated hit of the endorphins of that feel good. That if you aren't always seeking that elevated um, distraction from the outside world, You're afraid of the bankruptcy, meaning that if you stopped and you just be in the moment, you might feel bankrupt in the sense of like, I don't hear anything. I I don't feel like I have anything meaningful to offer. And that's not true. You just maybe haven't stopped to connect with your being with who you really are. And we're taught this. We're taught this from social media. We're taught this from teachers. We're taught this from leaders. This kind of unworthiness. We've got to strive. We've got to work for the company. We've got to excel. We've got to exceed. We've got to accomplish our goals. It's always this external pushing ourselves outside of ourselves. And it is, a, it is a fear. I've worked with clients that are so busy, I've done the same thing. They're afraid to stop. And you, you see that they must be so busy by choice. It's now an unconscious choice. Because if they stop long enough, they'll probably realize how much they fucking hate their life. 
But if they work so hard and so many hours and six to seven days a week and make tons of money and pay for their partner and pay for their mistress mistress, and pay for their cottage and pay for their vacations, they'll be so fucking busy every second of the day. They'll have no time to be. They'll only be doing. They'll only be existing, doing what other people expect of them. There's a fear that I think for many people that when you stop and just listen to what's going on in yourself, that you're either unworthy or you're not enough. But being is all there is. Being is it. (laughs) It's what else is there? I'm not saying you have to sit in meditation in an ashram for a month. I am suggesting that trying to define yourself as right or better than or holier than or defining yourself by the measures of things that have nothing to do with you, like how much money you earn, what position you have in a company, um, what you've achieved in your life at a certain age. None of those things have meaning. They, They may bring things to your life that you want, but they're not who you are. And I'm going to stop at this point because that's a big question. Who are you being? And who are you being is probably one of the most challenging steps in my coaching methodology, my ADI, assess, dream, design, and implement method. When we get to the who are you being It's not that it's hard to talk about, and that's what I've really dedicated this podcast to be about. I haven't quite talked just about being, but I've talked about this aspect of having faith in yourself and faith in where you're at. But people get stumped because they're like, well, I'm a financial advisor, or I'm a travel agent, or I'm a personal trainer, or I'm a coach. It's like, no, no. That's not who you're being. So who are you being? With all the work, all the distractions, all the external hits to give you sort of that feel good, the drugs, the alcohol, the overwork, the rushing to and fro, the vacations, the seeking, the next level up in your career, the need to be right, the need to be heard, Where are you and how are you being in all of those places? As always, thank you for listening. If you want to learn more about my ADDI, my ADDI coaching method, you can take the first step on me by going to my website. You can download my Get Clarity process. It is the most vital tool in my entire process that you can use again and again when you feel like you just don't know what it is that you're struggling with or 
why you can't solve a problem or why something is holding you back. Getting clarity, just saying those two words, just doesn't do justice to what this process can do for you. So head on over to darrensteel.com clarity and pick up your free guide there. And until next time, live out, live proud, and be out.